Our Father in heaven, we are grateful this morning that we can call you Father and that we can be your sons. We're thankful that not only did you, Lord Jesus, teach us to pray in giving us the Lord's Prayer, but we stand on the shoulders of so many who've gone before us and have been prayerful. We pray that you would make us prayerful men this morning, not because we ought to, not because we've been coerced to, not because this is the right Christian thing to do, because you truly have given us a grace that you, our great God, the one who made all things, the one who now sustains all things, you, great God, have invited us, your creatures, fallen and corrupted. You have invited us to commune with you in prayer. So, Lord, we pray that you would protect us, protect us from making prayer into something that is not. And this morning, we particularly pray that we would not treat you like a vending machine, coming to you to get what we want only to discard you when we have what we think we need. Lord, help us now as we look at this prayer and we also look at the story behind this prayer, not only the Bible, but what our culture thought of it about 20 years ago and help us to reflect on what it means to be prayerful men. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So this morning we're looking at um, the prayer of Jabez. When I was uh, praying about this series and thinking about where the Lord might lead us, this was one of the first prayers that popped into my mind. And I must tell you, the only reason why it popped into my mind is for what I'm about to talk to you about. Uh, I probably would not have even thought of this prayer. Uh, in fact, some of you may have never even heard of this prayer. You, you probably, if you are a Bible reader, you probably don't spend a ton of time in First Chronicles. And if you do spend any time in First Chronicles, you're probably not spending a lot of time in the first four chapters because the first four chapters is one of those parts of the Bible that is nothing but names you cannot pronounce. And you get lost in and your eyes glaze over and you think, I'm just going to kind of skip this part uh, or just, you know, check this off my Bible reading plan because why else would you be there, right? And there's this obscure little story of a man named Jabez. And just a couple verses, his story, his prayer, and that's it. Why would we look at just two verses in the middle of old, ancient Israel's history? Well, about 20 years ago, uh, an author, speaker, pastor named Bruce Wilkinson wrote a book called The Prayer of Jabez. Some of you may be familiar with it. Many of you probably have never heard of it before. He wrote it at just 90 pages. And yet this book at just 90 pages became one of the fastest selling books in history. Today it stands as only one of four or five books, Christian books, that has sold over 10 million copies. In just short time it became a New York Times international bestseller. And you ask why? What is it about this book at just 90 pages that would have captivated the hearts particularly of believers. Well, in this book, the author says that he stumbled as well, just like probably anybody would, stumbled upon this prayer, uh, hearing it for the first time really and thinking about it for the first time from a sermon that he heard. 
And he was so inspired by this sermon that he wrote this 90-page book to teach people how to pray this particular prayer. You say, okay, well, what's the big deal? Why would this sell 10 million copies? Why would everybody want to read this book? Well, I want to read to you, in all fairness to the author, but I want to read to you what he wrote in the preface. Bruce Wilkinson writes, I want to teach you how to pray a daring prayer that God always answers. Does he have your attention now? I want to teach you a prayer, he says, that God always answers. A daring prayer that is brief, only one sentence with four parts, tucked away in the Bible. But I believe it contains the key to a life of extraordinary favor with God. This petition has radically changed what I expect from God and what I experience every day by his power. I want you to notice what the author says about this particular prayer. And then really the 90 pages that follow, he delivers. He teaches people how to pray this prayer verbatim as if you would pray the Lord's Prayer, to teach this prayer verbatim. And he argues that if you pray this prayer verbatim, that you will, as he said in the preface, that you will unlock the key to God's extraordinary favor. Now do you see maybe why it sold 10 million copies? In all fairness to, to the author, again, I don't think this is much uh, an indictment on the author as it is on our culture. And that's really what I want you to wrestle with as I wrestle with it myself as we jump into this prayer. Because there's something in us that thinks that as we approach the topic of prayer, that if we could just pray the right words then God would hear us. And as we will be reminded again, Jesus had something to say about that in the Sermon on the Mount. Something in us, and it goes well beyond something like the prayer of Jabez, but now I'm thinking of things like the Da Vinci Code and all kinds of things where people claim that, you know, if you add up the numbers of this, 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 and this, you'll unlock God's secret. Like there's something in us that thinks that there's, there are hidden mysteries in here. <laughs> that if we can just mine the depths of them, we will find almost little spells, incantations, that if we would say them, we can make God hear us and answer us. And yet, that's not the Bible, and that's not God. There's something in us, I think, that tends to treat God like a cosmic vending machine. What do I mean by that? That when we need something from him, when we find ourselves at our lowest place, we go to him, we ask to, in order to get, and then when we have what we think we need, we discard him only to come back to him when it's time to make a transaction. Yet that is not the kind of prayer that God is calling us to. But I think finally, the last thing, I think why we are captivated by things like this is because we don't know the grace of God. We don't know what it means to be loved by a heavenly father. And that as we come to God in prayer, that prayer is the last thing for us to ever check the box off. 
are to treat like some transaction. But the God of the universe, our Father in heaven, has invited us to commune with him, to be with him. And as, again, we'll be reminded, he delights to give us everything we need. And so as we begin, I want to begin with a question. Bruce Wilkinson, at the end of his preface, he says, this petition has radically changed what I expect from God. What do you expect from God? When you pray, if you pray, what do you expect from him? How you answer that question will reveal how you see him and how you think about prayer. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says that our Father in heaven already knows what we need before we even ask him. He's the God of the universe. He, know all, he knows all things. He knows us intimately. None of this should surprise us if you think about God, even if you're an atheist and think about the concept of God. That makes sense. And so what do you expect when you pray? What do you expect from a God who already knows every need? What do you expect? And if he already knows what we need, then why do we pray? The beard's getting huge and starting to interfere, I think. Why do we pray? If God already knows what we need, why do we pray? Maybe you've wondered that yourself. Because I think in prayer, God is as interested in what he's doing in us as he is in giving us everything that we need. So the first thing I want to look at is prayer of Jabez. I want to look at Jabez's pain. Before we look at his prayer, I want to look at his pain. I want you to turn with me in a Bible to 1 Chronicles. Uh, you can look, look, I get it. You can use your table of contents if you'd like. If you have a Bible, I do want you to turn there. I think it's a good habit of you to see kind of where are these more sometimes less familiar books of the Bible and passages in your Bible uh, because this part of the Bible is worth reading. This is called the Chronicles. It comes right after Kings. This is a section of Old Testament history where the chronicler is doing exactly that. He is recording Israel's history for posterity. And there, as I said at the end of just a list after list after list of genealogy, and again, if you have a Bible and you just flip through those first few verses of First Chronicles. So if you go to First Chronicles chapter 1 and just look at all of these names, and then you turn the page and go to chapter 2 and you're like, okay, more names. <laughs> and then you turn the page and go to 3 and yet more names. <laughs> this is amazing. We get all the way to chapter 4 and more names. In fact, the names continue and they continue really all the way and look, you know, chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7. I mean, who would want to read this? And yet they're tucked away. And all of this, I want you to look at verse 9 of chapter 4. And we come along upon a man named Jabez. Who is Jabez? We don't know a lot about Jabez. Uh, commentators uh, Bible um, scholars have tried to reconstruct as best they can Jabez's life from context, even from history. 
Um, and yet we still don't know for certain a lot about him. As best we can tell, Jabez was likely the youngest of other brothers. That's why we see that listed here. Um, he was described as more honorable than his brothers. That word honor is the same root word that we get for glory in describing the glory of God or the honor of God. He was, he was more honorable. In some ways, we could probably think of this word as more godly than his brothers. We're going to see that godliness play, pray, play out in just a second in his prayer. He was more honorable, but we also know his name and the reason why he was given that name. Look with me at verse 9. Jabez was more honorable than his brothers, and his mother called him Jabez, saying, because I bore him in pain. Now, if you are a student of the Bible, you know that in Bible times, names mattered quite a bit. And if you've ever heard me talk about that, you've probably heard me tell this joke, but I think this is just a great illustration about how little we think about what names mean today. Um, my name is Paul. My middle name is Russell. Paul means small. Russell means redhead. So my name literally means small redhead which does not describe me in the least. I am none of those things. Uh, and I don't know if you've ever studied what your name means and if it's accurate. Well, in, in those days, names meant a whole lot. Um, think about just the name of our Lord Jesus. It comes from the root word Yeshua or Joshua, which means salvation. The name of Jesus means a lot, Right? also given the name Emmanuel, as we'll talk about, uh, and Christmas, which means God with us. It means a lot. The name Jabez also meant a lot, and it literally means pain. How would you like to have that name? Your name means pain or grief. And we're told that Jabez's mother named him that because she bore him in pain. And that's all we're given. That's all we're given. We don't know what the context of that was. Some speculate that perhaps that was just a very painful childbirth. You can imagine what kind of medical practice they had back then. And if you had a complication in a delivery, what that might be like. And perhaps that scarred this mother so much that she named her son after it. <laughs> Wonder what that mother-son relationship was like after. We don't know. Others have speculated that perhaps... She named him that because of what was going on in their lives. And we know from history of Israel that at this point in their history, things are not going well. Um, they are depleted in their resources. We'll talk about this in just a second. And their land. And many of them had had to sell it off, had had, to, had it taken from them. Um, and so perhaps part of it is was born in the pain of their lives, right? That born in this period of pain. And some have speculated that perhaps that's, we don't know. But the point is, we know that Jabez's name tells us a lot about who Jabez was before he was seen as an honorable man, a man who was honorable, more honorable than his brothers, that he was born in pain. Whatever the reason for this, most theologians agree that this little two-verse section of 1 Chronicles chapter 4 
is a great little picture of Israel's own story. Because Israel, God's people, had experienced a lot of pain. That pain was self-inflicted. And as we saw in our study of Judges, if you were with us, um, man, it was horrific. And what we see, if you read the Old Testament for very long, you will see story after story after story of the pain of Israel, the pain of God's people. Literally, Jabez meaning grief. Their grief over their sin and the consequences of their sin. And what I want you to see this morning is that is Israel's story. It was Jabez's story at some level, though we don't know exactly why. It is definitely our story. It's your story. Though your name might not be Jabez, as you look back over your lifetime, I wonder how the word pain or grief might describe your story. And those are things and parts of our lives that we don't like to think about very often. We certainly don't like to dwell on them. But I think we could all agree that pain and grief marks us as human beings. That if you truly experience pain, hardship, or grief, it will change you. And you will become a different person. The question is, how will God use that pain, that grief, that hardship? Because as we've seen over and over and over again in the Bible, the Bible does not promise that we will not experience suffering. In fact, a close and careful reading of the Bible would say just the opposite. We will experience suffering. But as the people of God, redeemed by Jesus we see that God has always used suffering for the good of his people. And if you doubt that this morning, I want you to consider the cross. God used the greatest suffering the world has ever known to bring salvation to the world. So right out of the gate, you can see that we're taking a radically different view than the international New York Times bestseller, right? The prayer of Jabez is not a, a prayer to pray in order not to suffer. But at some level, I think we could say the prayer of Jabez was a prayer offered by a sufferer, a fellow sufferer who at some level knew the pain of human life. And yet, though he had the pain of human life, he came before God, more godly, more honorable than his brothers, and this is what he prayed. The second thing I want us to look at I want to look at his prayer. This is the prayer of Jabez. Verse 10, Jabez called upon the God of Israel saying, Oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my border, that your hand might be with me and that you might keep me from harm so it might not bring me pain. Now, that's it. That's the prayer. Uh, that's what this book wrote 90 pages about. And again, I want to be very fair to the author. Um, I've not talked to him. I've not read interviews. I imagine he couldn't have even expected what was going to happen with his book. My, my actually critique is more on us as a culture. Because what people begin to do with this prayer 20 years ago when this book came out is to pray this prayer word for word. Almost like a mantra. 
like an incantation. They would pray it every day, multiple times a day. Maybe that was you, if you remember this book 20 years ago. Thinking that if I just pray this prayer word for word, then God will do what I ask. And you say, well, d- shouldn't we pray the prayers of the Bible? And I would say, well, of course we should. Jesus himself, in fact, taught us to pray in a specific way. He gave us the Lord's Prayer. And as we've seen time and time again with the Lord's Prayer, that's a prayer that he taught us literally to pray word for word, but also to serve as a model prayer. And that's what I want to look at with the prayer of Jabez this morning. I want us to look at it as a model prayer, not a mantra. There's a big difference. A mantra is just praying something word for word without really thinking a whole lot about what you're praying. Just from memory, thinking that if you just pray it over and over and over and over and over again, you can almost bludgeon God into doing what you want. And Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount had something to say about that. Before he taught us how to pray, he taught us how not to pray. And in Matthew 6, verse 5, he said, When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and the street corners and be seen by others. Verse 7, he says, When you pray, listen to this, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. And then he says, don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Don't just heap up empty words and phrases. Don't just bring mantras before God. Don't treat this one verse like a magic spell to coerce God into getting what you want, but let's look at it as a model. And there's a big difference. What is Jabez praying for? We're, uh, one of the things that the book argues, it's really, uh, there's four different parts, and I think it's true, but there's really in two distinct sections. And there's the first section that really is asking for provision, and the second section was really asking about redemption and the way that Jabez relates to God. So I want you to look at that first part of the prayer, again, as a model, not a mantra. Oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my border. Oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my border. Two parts to this section on provision. The first is for blessing. Now, again, if you just read this without the context, you think, okay, well, Jabez is just praying for blessing. But remember what his name means. It means pain or grief or literally he's cursed. And what we see here is God, by his grace, bringing blessing to the one who is cursed. That's the story of Israel. That in their sin and their failure to keep God's covenant, they received the covenant curses. And God in his justice had every right to punish them. And yet God also, by his grace, fulfilled his part of the covenant in bringing blessing, even when people deserved the curse. We are the same. We are no different. In our sin, we too bear the curse. In fact, the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 2 says that we were born in it. He says that we were once children of wrath, carrying out the passions of our flesh, the desires of the body, 
We were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. We were born in pain, in grief, and in sin. And yet what we see here is for Jabez to go and pray for a blessing is a prayer for God's grace and God's favor. And you can think so many examples But most importantly, I think of the Lord's Prayer where God is inviting us, Jesus is inviting us to go before our Lord. Though we are orphans, to call him Father. Though we are sinful, to ask for forgiveness. Though we are poor and needy, to ask for daily bread. Because we have a gracious and good Father that knows what we already need before we ask him. So we ask for a blessing, even though that he was born in pain. He asked for blessing, and then he says, enlarge my border. And this is one of the phrases that got a lot of airtime when the book came out. Who doesn't want to enlarge their border? Who doesn't want to expand their territory, to have prosperity? But again, in the context here, we don't know everything about Jabez's life, but we know in those days that land was scarce. Times were hard. So we don't know. But what we probably can, at least with some certainty, our best guess is what we have here is not a man who has a giant estate and is asking for more, but we have a man who is at the end of himself and is asking for provision. A man who probably has very little land, if any at all, and is saying, would you enlarge my border? Would you provide for me? Because in those days, what did people do with land? Well, it wasn't to look out on it and to survey all of their domain. (laughs) It was to farm and to get food, to get sustenance, to raise animals for warmth, to, to herd sheep for meat. Here is Jabez praying for provision. And what I want you to know about prayer is God wants us to come to him and ask for the things that we need. It's good and right. And actually, I think, a sign of honor, respect, and worship to bring our every request to our Father, who Jesus tells us already knows what we need. So the question again is, well, then why would we do that? If he already knows what we need, why would we ask for what we need? Because again, God is doing something in prayer that has just as much to do about what he's doing in us as it is with the outcome. For us in our posture of humility and dependence to come and bring our every request to our Heavenly Father and to trust him that he would give our daily bread is just as much a part of our prayer lives as men as it is for the things that we are praying for. He delights to give us everything. He invites us to give us everything. And Jabez continues. Not only does he ask for provision, but he is asking for redemption. He says that your hand might be with me, that you keep me from harms that might not bring me pain. One has to do with the provision of what he has in life, and one has to do with his personal redemption, that God's favor would rest on him, that his hand would be with him, and that he would keep him from harm. 
that he would guard him from pain. Jabez, the one whose name is pain, is asking the Lord that he would redeem his story. The one who is named pain is now asking God that you would keep me from pain, that you would keep me from harm. Again, God, by his grace and mercy, has invited us to come and bring our request, not only of what we need in life and provision, but our, our very hearts, our very souls, every part of our lives. Again, Jesus teaches us this in the Gospel of Matthew. Again, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, 7 through 8, he says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. The one who knocks, it will be opened. James says you don't have because you don't ask. The solution here is not to, oh, well, this is, we don't want to not pray a mantra or treat God like a vending machine. And some of you might be feeling convicted by that now, and so your solution is, well, I'm not going to pray at all. That's not it. No, it's to cultivate a daily prayer life. Morning and evening, even in the middle of the day, to start practicing a daily office of prayer because the God of the universe has invited you to fellowship with him, to commune with him, and to bring your every request. Why? Because he's a good father who knows our every need. So the end of the story, before we go to your table, is just a very basic summary of what happened next. And I love it. Look at the end of verse 10. And God granted what he asked. Here's my question for you and what I want you to wrestle at your, at your group. Why? Why did God grant what Jabez asked? Is it because of the words of his prayer? Is it because of the specific things that he prayed for? Why? Why did he grant what he asked? Why does God grant what we ask? In many ways, let's answer the question I asked at the very beginning. What do you expect from God? When you pray, what do you expect? God granted what Jabez asked. Why? I would argue because it has a lot more to do with the character of God than it has to do with the character of God. Of Jabez. God delights to give us every good and perfect gift because that is who he is. Covenant-keeping God of grace, a good father who delights to give us everything that we need. And if you don't believe that, consider the word of the Apostle Paul, who again reminds us that if our Heavenly Father would give us His own Son to die on the cross for our sins in our place, how would He also not graciously give us all things? Let me pray for you, send you to your groups. Father, we thank you for Jabez. We even thank you for this book in some ways. We thank you that it shed light on a part of Scripture that can sometimes be obscure to us. We thank you for the way that revealed, the way that sometimes we can treat you, God, and the way that we think about prayer, the way that we don't understand it. 
We're also thankful for your word, for these two little verses and this honorable man named Jabez. Most of all, we thank you for the end of his story, that you granted what he asked. Because we have our confidence that we know that's the end of our story too. That though we will experience suffering in this life, we know that our suffering is not in vain. And as we celebrate Thanksgiving next week and enter into the Advent season, I pray that you would give us grateful hearts, that we'd truly be uh, men of prayer, of thanksgiving, giving you thanks for every circumstance and every providence, and most of all, giving thanks for your son Jesus who died and rose again for our salvation. Be with these men now as they discuss their groups and be with them next week as they give thanks. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.